The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I personally would really appreciate a little bit more instruction on um, listening mindfully. Great. <clears throat> I love the question. It's a good concern to have. this whole thing is very simple if you know how to do it. I didn't, I didn't, when you first mentioned this, talk for five minutes, uh, listen for five minutes uh, mindfully. I didn't think I wanted any part of it because I didn't have any idea what you were talking about until I actually got involved in it and it is the most interesting thing I've done in a long time and the other thing I wanted to mention is every time I come here I hear something that I go home with that I find I guess comforting is the right word Um, and the one thing I heard this morning uh, is sometimes when I went to talk, it seemed that nobody uh, was willing to listen. And I have found that that is something that has gone on forever. So I just wanted to say thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, I've, I, at one point, while I was speaking mindfully, I was trying to not um, adjust how I was speaking. I was just trying to be present with it without dampening it or, um, oh, what's the word, um, changing it. But just, so I wasn't trying to be controlling of it, I guess is what. And uh, so I was talking about talking while I was agitated and I was speaking very loudly <laughs> and you let me know about that and and so that was very so I actually wasn't aware of that I was speaking too loudly for the, in the context of this room and everyone being so close together and um, so that was rather humorous for me and I yeah, it's I'm not sure I want to um, control, have like an act of control or dampening on how I speak all the time. Um, It feels too contrived or uncomfortable. It feels like too much effort, I guess. And so the question is, (laughs) um, the question for me is how to be mindful without being controlling, without efforting too much. That's a great, great topic. <clears throat> I think it would be useful to look at this question of control and what you mean by control when it comes in and the difference between control and choice <clears throat> and when and in what situations you quite happily choose 
to modulate or vary what you say and how you say it without having any notion that you're controlling anything. So I mean, a simple example would be you're talking with a friend quite boisterously, loudly, engagingly, whatever. Maybe you're having an argument with a friend and you're happy doing it and engaged. And then for some reason, who knows why, you have an occasion to go into a preschool room when the kids are napping. I'm not going to control myself. You know, I'm going to, you know, I should, you know, I don't want to control myself. I'm going to you know, continue the argument and continue the, you know. I think, I think very naturally, most people, they go into those pristinely quiet preschools. It's one of the most pristine quiets that you can get is when you go into, they're, they're all sleeping. <laughs> I mean, it's like going into, it's like going into, you know, I don't know, high church or mass or, and I think it's quite natural to adjust how we speak in certain environments like that. But I don't think you would call it controlling. So, so what's the difference between, for you, between control and choice? And, and wh- why wouldn't that be controlling? And what situations do you call it controlling? And why is that controlling? Because it's natural to adjust ourselves in different circumstances. So I think it's worth looking. It's great. Thank you. So, uh, yes. On the topic of uh, listening, we surfaced a question, Anna surfaced it, really, um, about is it mindful when listening to internally relate what somebody's saying, uh, what your partner is saying, to your own internal emotional experience? Is that more empathetic? And you don't want to hijack the um, conversation by saying, oh, I know just how you feel, and on off into you know, your own story. But, or, or, or are you changing, really, what's being said by the fact of your listening through your own lens, i.e. the physics mm-hmm. thing about the thing being observed, being changed by the process of it's observing? A, it's a great question. So, the, so if I can restate it, the question is, has to do with um, what is it to be mindful of someone when you're listening? And what's the role of our thinking and our memory and our own life experiences as we, as we put it through the lens of our, our thoughts, our beliefs, our ideas, our life experience? <clears throat> uh, and is that mindfulness, or is, there, is mindfulness something a little different than that? Non, is, is there a non-conceptual, non-discursive aspect of mindfulness where your history with an, a particular topic is not really that relevant for, for what mindfulness is? It might be relevant for thinking about the topic, <clears throat> but if you confuse mindfulness and, and that kind of more discursive thinking about it, then it's not really mindfulness, it's thinking, thinkfulness. And mindfulness is actually quite simple. So mindfulness would say, oh, now I'm thinking about how this relates to my childhood experience. So you're aware, that's what I'm doing, is that really what I want to do right now? To what degree does that take me away from listening well? And maybe that's for later, I'll just shelve it for now and go back to that. Make some sense? Mm So, Gail? Um, I, just, uh, I just wanted to express how uh, much of a gift uh, I felt it was to listen to, to my partner. Um, I, can't, <laughs> I can't find the words to say how wondrous this gift was feeling. And um, 
it was an experience that that she was allowing me to to participate in with her and her movements even you know it wasn't just the 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 sound and the words it was also the movement of her body and just uh, i felt as if i were able to experience that with her mm. who knows you know what i was experiencing but just just felt so honored and 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 gifted and then it, it with with her feedback uh the thought that that could be true when i'm speaking too that that maybe somebody else would feel gifted in that way um I, it's good for you know it's good to enter okay. uh i really appreciate that entering a bit more beautiful so speaking can be a gift yes how we speak great so Genevieve wants to speak. This will be made the last, maybe two more. Genevieve? Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, it was a great experience to realize that listening is not just the ears, it's everything. It's my eyes, it's what's happening in here, it's that sense of the connection, and that changes moment by moment. It's such an encompassing um, experience. Beautiful. It really is. Yes. It's really. It becomes richer that way. Much oh richer. yeah, this is this is pretty pretty wonderful. Yeah, thank you. So the last one over here in the corner. Can you pass the mic. I, I just have a quick question about when I was mindfully speaking, I realized that I had trouble doing it without. I mean, I just have trouble doing it because I was already, I. I was already planning about what I was going to say next rather than, but I didn't trust myself to just be in the moment because then I didn't want to not have anything to say. So, Congra- I, so congratulations. <laughs> you, you, you just had a huge lesson about yourself. You were mindful and you saw something about how you work. That was a great lesson. The mindfulness worked. So just rather than thinking, I couldn't be mindful, you actually saw something significant, and now you can begin taking that into account and use your mindfulness to begin unraveling or unpacking or understanding better what's happening there. And it's, one of the questions that gives you a chance to ask yourself is, is it always necessary to be planning what you're going to say next? Uh, is it okay to trust what emerges, trust what wants to come uh, if you don't plan Okay, so let's take a 20-minute break. It's 11 o'clock. We'll start again at 11.20 and continue. And also, I'll say this. You know, when we, talk, when we have these kind of conversations, especially about your experience with listening and talking, sometimes what people share is quite personal. And so uh, be a little bit careful. You, the fact that you've heard it, you should be a little bit the caretaker of that, what you've heard. And don't just kind of then you know, yell across the hall, you know, and say, you know, <laughs> I can't believe you said that. <laughs> or, um, you know, or, or offer them advice or, you know, treat it maybe almost as confidential or something. Hold it carefully and, you know, depend. You, you probably figure out what's appropriate given what they talked about, but, but be considerate of what you've heard so that um, if it feels like it maybe should be confidential or something that, or they don't want to, they don't want, you know, they don't want to bring it up again or something, just check in with people and, I don't know, something like that. Um, make sure that you pause and relax. 
That's all. So you continue this conversation as you. But every time you're going to speak, remember to have some. It could just be momentary. No one can even notice. But some pause, and then relax, and then speak. Okay. So you can continue. interested in uh, hearing a variety of things about how that discussion went for you. I wasn't part of any of them, so I don't know. But um, first I'd like to ask a particular question, <clears throat> and that is, um, was there any difference between how the conversation went or how you participated in the conversation between those two halves? After you got the instructions to pause and relax before speaking, did that affect how you were in the conversation? What difference did that make in the conversation? Uh, I thought it made a huge difference. And actually, uh, we took sort of a consensus in our group. Uh, and uh, we all, I don't know if we all, but many of us agreed that there was a big difference. And the big difference seemed to be that we had these opinions that were kind of demanding that we get them out and say them. And by pausing, it left space for somebody else to say their opinion. And if you pause long enough, you wouldn't get to say what you had on your mind. Uh oh <laughs> And, and the, my, my own conclusion, uh, 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 and I'm one to often fill the space. My own conclusion about it was that um, there wouldn't be any loss if I didn't give my opinion. <laughs> and everything I had to say was eventually said by somebody else anyway. Wow. And that's, a, that's an interesting observation. Okay, great, thank you. So, so next to you. <clears throat> I just wanted to say every time I took the breath, <laughs> <laughs> Next time we do this exercise, author will be given instruction to <laughs> three breaths. <laughs> Someone else. <clears throat> I noticed this question seemed to come up around um, like a, as if there was kind of a, a dichotomy between telling the truth and or speaking the truth um, and maybe being kind and we kind of discussed this and this to me this seems it's kind of a western thing or this rational thing this 
like undergrad philosophy thing. It's almost like the, the truth includes the heart and the physical world, and it's almost like if we kind of reduce the truth down to this kind of like desiccated, rational thing, it doesn't, it kind of loses its yeah. meaning. Great, it's a very interesting idea. So, <clears throat> so to be a truthful person, as opposed to just saying the truth, a truthful person perhaps means qualities of the heart and inner life. So I want to keep the focus right now a little bit on the difference between the talking with or without the pause and the relaxation. So in terms of what you just raised now, does the, the pause and relaxation have some bearing on this topic? I think... Maybe when I, when I pause and relax, I'm closer to the truth that's here. Mm. Great, so some inner connection which is truthful or meaningful and helpful. Mm. Great, thank you. So for the rest of you, it was meaningless to pause and <laughs> relax? <laughs> or you... <laughs> So I'm a scientist, and one of the things that I can't tease apart because there's a correlation between doing it with and without the breath and the the growing sense of trust in our group over time. Oh, yeah. So I think what was maybe, this is not the truth, this is my opinion, that first of all, the people in my group were wonderful. <laughs> and I think that they already had a, a you know, a, kind of a deep sense of relaxation already, but that just over time there was kind of a greater um, trust in the group and kind of willingness to um, say things that might be a little bit more difficult. I see. So, so, um, so maybe the group, people in the group remember, remember to pause and relax before speaking, but because of the, there are other things happening that developing in the course of the conversation it's hard to tell what made the most difference. And, uh, but what about for you personally? What difference did it make, do you think it made for you to pause and relax? I don't know if I remembered to pause and relax. I mean, you know, it's like I did I like maybe the first time I talked, and then after that it was just more... Um, trusting that when it was time for me to speak that I'd have something to say. Yeah, I mean, it was so there was, I, I don't know. Maybe I guess I'm feeling pretty relaxed. So. They didn't feel the need for the pause. It was almost, right. almost, almost already there for you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so how about the rest of you? Did uh, many of you forget this instruction very quickly? Um, so f- what I found is that when I paused, I would pause for a long, longer time than the first time, and that then someone else would speak. And so then I, I um, experienced these physical sensations because I couldn't control the outcome, and I wanted to say something, and, and then the interface of letting go of that wish, the desire to say something, and really being okay with just listening to someone else. It had a physical sensation of almost being tickled, but not, but not scratching the itch. 
So, so I apologize if I'm going in the wrong direction here for listening to you, but um, didn't quite understand perhaps. But earlier in the morning, you talked about not wanting to control yourself. And a little bit now you're saying you're uncomfortable and you can't control others? <laughs> I'm a control freak. <laughs> yes, this is how I suffer, Gil. <laughs> just, just pause and relax. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, if you can take it up on the stage and just pass it up and you can speak next. Yes. I'm going to pause and relax. I found that when we paused and relaxed, we became more aware of our intention just to connect to each other. Mm. That what we were talking about started to matter less. Ah, so I, great. So there's a, a human connection with each other started to take more prominence and, uh, compared to the content of what was so important to say, what you wanted to say. Great. That's lovely. Thank you. It's a great lesson. Yes. Um, for me, it was kind of reflection and observing what I'm about to say the truth <laughs> and, um, and it, it was uh, it, it was very helpful so by pausing okay. and by pausing I felt like changed what I was about to say so it was more profound mm. than um, just say it just comes out of my mouth, anything. Uh So I think it was really helpful. Great. So there are different places our speech can come from, in a sense. So it can come from some place that maybe we could say is more superficial or surface, or it can come from some place deeper. And the practice of pausing and relaxing allows for it to come from some deeper place. Absolutely. Uh And so so there's a this uh, practice of pausing and relaxing, some, te- some teachers will teach a third practice to go along with that. And that's to uh, pause, relax, and then the third one is called trust emergence. Trust what emerges. So in that space, being deeper and deeply connected, trust what arises then. So up there, yes. No, she has a she has a mic. Oh, she has. I found it difficult to maintain that kind of pause and grounded presence. Um, I felt that I surrendered it to connect with the group that was not, mm. because it felt too much like work. Because I'm a facilitator, and so I was mindful that I was sacrificing that instead of trying to lead that, wanting to not do that after we had lost that because there was other engagement or other richness going on. So I was just noticing sometimes that difference. So that was interesting for me. So if you paused and relaxed, then you lost certain leadership of the group? That there was, there was if, if everyone else is not, and uh-huh. you're able to be that calm, 
grounded ah. presence. That, that was just interesting. That was up for me. I'm curious and was exploring that. So, so if everyone was calm and relaxed, then... Then you can be... Then there is that sense of equality. Which was a good thing, or you end up... Which, would, which, would, which, which I think is, is lovely... But the part about the leading, I'm little, I'm about, I want to understand yeah. a little more what you mean by the leading or the loss of the leading. Or I think it was loss of connection that I was concerned about. Ah, so if you paused and relaxed. If you paused too much in a group that wasn't, you, there would be a loss in connection, not really leadership. Ah, interesting. So this is what I think is an interesting topic to explore mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I'm not saying this happened in your group, but... Um, there can be a sense of connection. Sometimes people have a sense of connection about just talking about the weather or the latest sports figures or something, you know, or politics. You know, they, they feel connected because they're talking. And then if they stop talking, they lose the connection. But if they relax deeply and tune into the humanity, even in the silence, you might feel actually a deeper sense of connection than if you're talking about the weather. So there might, but there might be a transition, it might, and people might, are not used to the quieter, deeper deeper uh, feeling. So if I understand you, it might be interesting to explore this and, and trust going a little bit further into the pausing and seeing if something, if something else emerges in the group or in the connection. I've had very profound connections with people where there was no, nothing being spoken at all. Um, just in the silence, something very profound was happening in the connection. And Thank you. Pass the mic down there to the other end. Is there someone down here that wants to speak to? We can pass the mic while it's. Yeah. Green, green light should be green light should be on. I keep thinking if I would pause and especially relax, I would not end up uh, yelling at my kids and husbands. <laughs> <laughs> it would really change a lot of dynamics in my home. So I'm going to try it. Thank you. This is a, a little bit of a aside, but I met a man yesterday who, I guess now he's grandfather, but he said he had, he raised four kids, three boys and a girl. And uh, he remember he told me at the time when uh, he um, gathered all his kids together in the living room floor and he lay down on the floor and he said, now, can you all now, each of you choose an arm or a leg and pull in different directions, pull me apart. <laughs> And so they all did, happily. You know, I guess they were probably pretty small. So it was, you know. And then he said to them, um, the, the way you guys are kind of running around the house today, or it's what you're doing, um, uh, this is how I feel. And, uh, and so then everyone, that, that made a big difference in the household. And then got quieter, calmer, less demanding. That show and tell, rather than yelling. And said, Let me show you something, how I feel. <laughs> Yes, please. And you can, if you can take your mic here and pass it back towards the back, towards the back there. Yes. Yeah. Um, for me, the spaciousness that arises from the pause allows me to um, look within um, to the source of what um, is arising in me that wants to be said, and to see whether or not that comes from a place of, you know, a kind and loving heart, mm-hmm. or from a place of grasping or need. And, and, and also the space then to determine if, if, you know, 
if it should be said, if there's a need or a benefit by have it being said, and that um, it's tremendously supportive in the practice of harmlessness. Beautiful, yes. That, that little pause and, uh, and uh, relaxing and checking in. The, um, and, but sometimes uh, I, I know that it's very easy to pause and relax and feel anxious. And that's part of what the, the pausing reveals. Like, you know, it can, uh, we can be anxious that we have to get our word in. And they can feel this impulse, and like, so pausing and relaxing can be like the rodeo, or kind of like, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah well, but, but, but. And, um, and it's, it's very valuable to see that there's a, sometimes these really strong impulses to speak, and what does that come from? Where does it, what arises? Is there enthusiasm? Is there a feeling of needing to be heard? Is there fear? Is there, what are some of the other forces going on that propels us to speak quickly? Yes. Um, so on the one hand, the pause and relax reminds me of um, driving on the freeway in crowded traffic where you're supposed to leave one car length for each 10 miles you're going. And then if you do that, somebody for sure will take your space in between. So then you want to get a little bit closer to the car ahead of you. So in a, some discussions, I feel like that. Well, I've got to kind of hurry up if I'm going to get what I have to say in. And then uh, you asked about how it was to pause and relax in the group, the difference. And I kind of realized when you said that, that I felt very good about doing that. I did it, but really I did it because that was the instruction. And I didn't do it in a mindful way to see if what I was going to say was not any of the things that I shouldn't be speaking uh-huh. in. Yeah, there were no further instructions. The instruction was only uh, yeah. pause and relax. And so you, you, you didn't do some, you didn't not follow the instructions. So, so what? So, but, but, there, but once you pause and relax, then it's interesting to see what happens. And that's what happened to you. Someone else, some other things happen. And so it's just an interesting world that opens up. So one more, maybe one more. Yes. This is a tough exercise for me, and I just realized or remembered why it is. Uh, I grew up in a family in which... <coughs> Quick being quick to respond was equated with intelligence. And that people who took a long time to respond to a a question or a conversation, we thought were stupid. And it probably wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that some people actually thought before they spoke. Some people, we wish they did. (laughs) (laughs) Is that enough? Any burning impulses to speak? To say anything more? To feel complete? I do have a question. Yes, please. Okay. Uh, When Steve and I have been reading the book about the Noble Eightfold Path and, and the issue about humor and jest comes up, and and the part of the basis of humor, of course, is exaggeration, uh, a, a misrepresentation of things. And it seemed really clear in the, in the way this book is written, uh, I can't remember the author's name, that he probably had no sense of humor. Um, so, 
so we we wondered if we were like making like large faux pas here when we are funny because we try all the time to be funny. We make stuff up, um, and we feel like it's. I personally feel like it's a good thing to do in the world. And if I have something on my tombstone, I would like it to be she made people laugh. The, um, yeah, I think uh, laughter can be a beautiful thing. But I suppose the, the question should be answered uh, with some analysis of what the nature of the humor is and what we think of as being funny. I mean, some people are, you know, uh, produce a lot of humor and humorous things that, um, but it depends on being mean-spirited or undercutting people and you know, creating more division rather than connection. So, you know, what's the intention of the humor and what's the consequence of the humor? And so, there's the guideline of right speech. Is it true? You know, I think if we have too, too, too narrow a definition of truth around humor, there may be no humor. But, but there's a maybe a, a kind of appropriate kind of stretching things for humor that everyone understands that it's okay, maybe. And then is it divisive? Does it cause divisions in society or between people, or does it help bring people together? And sometimes humor can bring people together and beautiful. And is it harsh or cruel, or is it gentle and kind? So is it supportive of people? And uh, does it have some kind of purpose? And um, you know, is it just idle speech, or does it have some meaning for people to be humorous? And sometimes it's tremendously meaningful for people to uh, laugh and like, laugh at themselves and. So I think it all. I think the, the the answer is it depends. I told you that's what he was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about me behind my back. <laughs> so the um, so. Um, so the thing about being, so someone asked earlier about being mindful about speaking, wanting to learn more about it. I would propose that uh, often, more often than not, it's easier to develop the habit of a pause and relax than it is to develop a habit of being mindful as you speak. <clears throat> it's, like a, it's like a concrete, simple thing. And in the wake of that pause and relax, it's kind of natural to be a little more aware of what's going on. And then the mindfulness of speaking can grow from that. Now, you don't have to pause and relax in order to be mindful. So, but I think it's just much higher, higher challenge to be mindful without that and, and, um, and you know, all that. So part of the advantage of the mindfulness and relax, I associate, um, I mean, uh, pause and relax, is I associate relaxation a lot with the body, what goes on in the body. And one of the most useful uh, doors into mindfulness of, the, um, of speaking is to keep checking in with your body. So, and I've learned to do that a lot. What's going on with my body as I speak? And it's almost like, almost like a habit now for me to notice, like second nature, or, or it's like, you know, um, you know, I don't have to think about it much now to be aware of what's going on with my body while I speak. Um, whereas if you're not used to it, it might seem like you're having to multitask. But there's a lot of situations in life where you're, you know, you're paying attention to two different things at the same time. And, it just seems second nature to that. If you ride a bicycle, you're aware of your body without having to think about it. And uh, you might be even having a conversation with your fellow bicyclist on the bicycle, 
but you're aware of what's going on around you, you know what's going on within you, and so you're, it's second nature to do that. Whereas when you're first learning to ride the bike, <clears throat> no way you can have a conversation and ride the bike at the same time. So the same way you can cultivate strong mindfulness of the body, it becomes kind of like second nature. It becomes like riding a bike. It's like where you are and what you check into. And it's really a good skill, really good thing to develop. So, so now it's time for lunch. And So, um, <clears throat> welcome back. And so I thought we would start again with a silent sitting. And then near the end of the sitting, I'm going to offer you uh, something to reflect or consider uh, in the space of the sitting. And um, it's kind of an art or a skill in doing reflections during meditation as part of it. And one of the opportunities for it to sit here for a while and get quiet. <clears throat> uh, and then um, when you hear the question that, or the topic I'm going to bring up, uh, don't, don't get involved with it right away in the thinking mind, but rather kind of pause, relax, let the question or the topic sink in and see if something bubbles up from inside, from deep in the torso or the belly or something. See what, or see what moves or see what, what, it, what gets evoked <clears throat> by the question before you answer it. Maybe there are feelings, emotions, maybe there are bodily reactions. And, um, and then after you've given some space and time for some other kind of response, then you're welcome to reflect on it and think about it in a normal way and see what happens then. But uh, until then, we'll sit in, in silence. So as you're sitting here, feeling your body, Feeling your body against the chair or cushion. And as you feel the support of the chair or the cushion, as you exhale, let your body release itself into the pool of gravity. Settle in more deeply into your body.
And as you breathe, <clears throat> feeling your breath, your breathing within your body, as you exhale, see if you can release the pull of your thoughts. Soften the thinking mind. Every time you exhale, let there be a pause and time to relax the end of the exhale. So the reflection for the sitting begins by remembering what it feels like, what, what you feel like at times when you are particularly stressed out, when you're particularly harried or overwhelmed or in a bad mood. There's been such a time recently or such a even distant time that you remember well. Feel what it's like when you're this kind of way. You can remember what it feels like in your body, in your mind, <clears throat> what it feels like in your heart. You're having a bad day, as they say. And if your memory is going to be almost visceral, Remember what it felt like. And, and then <clears throat> when you're this way, how are you most likely to speak? How does that feeling this way affect your speaking? What you say, how you say it, What are some of the ways that having a rotten day affects your speech?
and then taking a deep breath and letting go of that memory and how you are that way. <clears throat> Remembering you're here in a quiet room, good people. And again, feeling yourself sitting here on your chair or your cushion. Feeling the uprightness of your torso and your head. The three-dimensional quality of being in a body, having a body. And as you breathe, as you exhale, let go of your thoughts, concerns. Pause, relax. And now bring to mind a memory of some time when you felt particularly <clears throat> peaceful, at home, connected, at ease, happy. Some time when you felt particularly high quality of well-being. And see if you can remember how it feels in your body to feel this way, your body, your mind, your heart. If you find some place in your body where it corresponds to where you feel well-being or peace or being settled, connected, perhaps for the next few moments you can breathe in and out of that place. Feel a connection through your breath. connected and feeling a sense of well-being and ease. How does this kind of state <clears throat> affect your speaking? How do you tend to speak when you're feeling this way? What do you tend to say? How do you say it?
And then in the last minutes of the sitting, <clears throat> let yourself begin thinking about and considering the relationship between how you are and how you speak, how you are and what you say. You go back over your life and your history of speaking. Do you see any pattern, any relationships between how you are and how you speak? So in terms of <clears throat> ourselves when we speak, I think one of the most interesting issues is the connection between <clears throat> our speech and how we feel, what our inner life is like, and the effect, the two-way uh, relationship between how we feel and what we say. <clears throat> and the task in Dharma practice is for us to be the caretakers of our, the quality of our inner life, how we feel, what's going on here as if it's important <clears throat> how we are, how we feel, the quality of our hearts and minds. Um, in terms of our relationship to other people, uh, speech, what's interesting about speech is the impact our speech has on other people. And, um, and how, you know, so there's a, you know, all these things are connected. So how we are affects what we say, what we say affects other people, affects our relationships to other people, and vice versa. But for now, I would like to explore this topic of, primarily this topic of how we feel, how important that is, be mindful of it and aware of that connection. So what I'd like to do is for you to um, do an exercise uh, that's a variation of, some of you have done this before, it's called a repeating question. We've done this here, you pair up with someone else. This time it's called a looping question. 
an Olympian question is similar, but um, you take turns answering the question rather than one person doing it all the time. And the way it's done is that one person begins, asks the question that I'll give you, asks the question, the other person responds. When the person's, so A asks the question, B responds. When B has responded, A says thank you. Probably the most important thing you're doing the whole exercise is saying thank you. Once you've said thank you, <clears throat> then um, B asks A the question. A responds. B says thank you. Then A asks the question, and B responds. So you go back and forth. Does that make sense? So, um, so the question, and there are these kinds of repeated questions over and over again. Um, the function of them is to start uh, getting beyond <clears throat> the easy answers you might get, the obvious ones that you might have kind of stored up, ready to answer, or whatever. And, uh, and hopefully, after a while, you don't have any you know, you know, standard or standard question answers or whatever, and new things come up. And every time you hear the question, you hear the question has it from a different angle. Maybe, oh, maybe, you know, <clears throat> and one time it means the question kind of points to one area of your life. Next time you hear the same question, it suggests something else <clears throat> and something else. And so different parts of your life or different areas, you know, you respond from, you see with how all these different answers come out of you. And some of them might surprise you because you're not prepared, you're not planning ahead. You're just kind of letting, seeing what bubbles up, seeing what comes, so letting yourself be surprised by what comes. Um, <clears throat> if you don't feel like sharing what comes up because it's too personal, you don't have to. Uh, you can just say, you know, I pass, or, or you could say something generic. You can say um, something really interesting. <laughs> you, know, just, you know, you can just, just acknowledge something that's happening for you. And so if it seems too private or too personal, you don't have to share it. Um, <clears throat> so the question is, what moves you to speak? What moves you to speak? And uh, it's not a you know, very precise question, because what's, what does move mean? And that's part of the value of it, so that uh, different things come up, different associations with that question come up, different possibilities come up that you respond to. What moves you to speak? And it could be, in the general sense, it could be you know, particular times in recent times, it's what moves you to speak. It could be that as the person's asked a question, you say, what moves you to speak? And you say, well, you're asking me a question. <laughs> or I'm trying to impress you <laughs> with a good answer. It could be real time, too, you know, you know what's going now. Or, or it could be more general, anything. It, 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 anything is possible. It's curious just to watch and see what surfaces on its own. You don't have to premeditate it. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so... Um, in a moment, there's time for you to pair up with someone. And if you don't find anyone, I think the good procedure is to start walking towards the front. We call it kind of concentrate here. And you might find people who are, need a partner when you're walking, meeting here in the front rather than standing, hoping something will happen around you. And, um, and if there's an um, odd number of people here, I'll help somehow uh, figure out what to do from that. So if you can... Oh, yes, and yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 
<clears throat> so whatever way you hear the question, <clears throat> so if you hear the question, you know, like, what moved you to speak when you were in second grade? The answer, you know, what moved you to speak when your in-laws visited? You know, whatever, 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 <clears throat> you know, whatever that question does for you, that's the interesting thing. There's no right or wrong. That's what, does that make sense? And um, so we'll, we'll do this probably for about 10 minutes, going back and forth. So uh, long enough so it's kind of, you know, uh, you know, you, you know, has a chance to kind of go deeper and deeper. And part of the, the, what goes on with the, why it's looping, the value of the looping rather than just one person does it repeatedly and then switching, is that uh, you get, uh, somehow you get informed, affected by the other person's answers. And so it's kind of like a, like, kind of like a shared, it becomes kind of a shared thing where you can't think of anything, someone else says something, and that evokes something, a memory, an idea, or something. And so there's a way in which you're affecting each other also. Uh, maybe not, not like you have to allow yourself to be affected, but something begins happening. Okay, so why don't you find someone and you can start when you're set up. And if you want to spread out into the... <clears throat> so you can take a few minutes just to kind of debrief and have a conversation with your partner about how that went, how you are, what... A big group.
So, what was that like? Great. Hmm? Great. <laughs> so who would like to share a little bit more fully? Yeah, yeah, Mike, it's very good. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry to start for a minute now. It's very difficult to question. Just clean it. It seemed to me, first of all, that seemed like a really long exercise, but that was just me. <laughs> Secondly, though, it seemed to me like, unless I'm kidding myself, most of the reasons that I heard from both of us were fairly benign. I mean, it, it didn't, we were hard-pressed to think of any malicious use of speech, although perhaps we were just hard-pressed, I, I don't know. But, but it, um, I think there's quite a bit of ego in there, but I don't necessarily see that as a fault, because I'm a new Buddhist right now, so. You're what? I'm a newish Buddhist, so I don't have this thing about ego so much. Oh, you don't have to worry about it for the time being. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So what I noticed when we were doing the exercises, the reasons for speaking kept changing. It was really great. And we would just sort of bounce off of each other. So something that would be said, and then, oh, yeah. And it would just go back and forth like that. And I don't think it necessarily got any deeper. For me, it was just different facets. Mm, All the different reasons mm -hmm. to speak and what feels really congruent and when it isn't congruent and it's a beautiful exercise. Thank you. Great, thank you. <clears throat> I really enjoyed the back and forth one. Oh, was someone else? No, no, you're, it's your go? turn. Okay. Um, uh, going back and forth because it's always nerve-wracking when it's just you having to come up with more and more things. But this way, it was just like a, a wonderful therapy session for both of us because um, she would say something and then that would, just having her say it would kind of open the door for me and then I could go into that, and then I would open the door for her, and she would step through, and we just kept going deeper and deeper into our ancient twisted karma. So it was, it was great. <laughs> great, thank you. Yes, Cheryl. Uh, the, the number of things, the thing that was interesting, one of the things was how many motivations there are, and that brings out to me a little bit how many how important it is and how many times a day that you'd really be thinking about it if you're thinking about mindful speech, that it's all, it's a lot mm -hmm. and in a lot of circumstances. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Yes, please. Uh, it seemed like uh, for a while it was work and then for me, past a certain point and it just started bubbling up and it was just, you know, came fast. Mm. You know, the answers came fast. They were all over the place, but 
that, but it's more spontaneous and just passing that peak. This is what yeah. great. So you, need, you needed a certain amount of time to get over a certain kind of hump. And once you're over that hump and opened up, then something started flowing for you in terms of answers. And, and when it started flowing and the answers weren't so much work, uh, were the quality or the characters of the answers different? Well, they sure ranged over much wider territory. Mm. Yeah. Not, not just, uh, well, I, I feel bursting to say something or to make a friend or something like that, but uh, you know, just uh, thinking of an embarrassing thing in the past that I had to write, or, you know, that kind of thing. Great, thank you. I was thinking we were, we were doing the thing we were talking about. We, we were speaking with each other uh, and what was moving us to speak. Um, and I thought there was something that's a very uh, human characteristic at speaking. Um, and there was something that started to happen in that exchange, um, uh, uh, a communication. Uh, that was very moving and uh, uh, to be part of, um, and that's not always the case. Um, uh, you know, there's different circumstances, different people. Um, so I was very aware of that. Great, thank you, Donna. So a couple of things. One was. It just seemed amazing to me how many different motivations the two of us had for speaking. Um, and I found myself as more and more different reasons came out wanting to classify them. Like, oh, okay. Sometimes we speak for, it's a social obligation, and sometimes we're trying to distract ourselves from something uncomfortable, or sometimes we want to connect regardless of what we're talking about, and so on. So that, that was an exercise I felt like playing in my mind. Um, but another thing that came up was I, I, several times I found myself not answering the question but answering a corollary, which was when am I moved not to speak? Mm. Because I don't know why it kept coming up, but there were several situations where, I, where one would expect speech or mm. talk or maybe the first impulse was to speak, but I had some real valid choice not to speak and, and what was behind that. Great, that's very interesting. It could, it could be interesting to do the exercise again with that question. When are you moved not to speak? And see what came up. Yeah, so behind you up on the stage. Well, I have my partner's permission to share um, an observation that she made, which is that um, communication is the tool that that we use to get our needs and our wants met. And when she said that, we were both filled with such compassion for the sea of humani humanity that is just trying to survive and thrive and be happy. Mm, yes, thank you. So that's, I think, a very profound thing that um, once we start going under the surface of what people say or what we say, there is a whole sea, an ocean of motivations of impulses of feelings and reasons and background and histories and stuff that goes on that's underneath there. And uh, to listen to that or to be in touch with that changes the whole game. And that's why, and one of the reasons I like doing this kind of exercise is that, um, is to kind of shy or kind of veer away from a little bit the idea of right speech means f following certain rules. 
don't speak this way, speak this way. Um, I'm much more interested in uh, how we speak reflects what's going on more deeply inside of us. And I have a, a lot of trust that if we can tune in, be mindful of what goes on in a deeper way, what moves us, um, we'll probably act much more wisely more often. And it, it becomes almost natural then to follow or to understand the value of the eth- ethical guidelines around speaking. And they don't become so much rules, but more you know, natural expressions of what feels right. Yes, a couple of more over here, and then we'll stop for a break. As we spoke in this uh, exercise and in the larger group one this morning when we were talking about, um, you know, speaking, speaking truth, um, it seems to me that much of it has to do with notions of self or concerns about others' sense of self. You know, we don't speak out because we fear we're going to hurt somebody else's feelings or destroy their own sort of identity or whatever. So I don't know if um, the Buddha talks elsewhere about um, <coughs> clinging to senses of self and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that pertains specifically oh, the pertains. Eightfold Path, but it does, in right speech here, but it does seem to be a big component. It's a great point. It's a, the whole idea, the whole movement of taking things as me, myself, and mine, the selfing that we do, is um, addressed by the Buddha over and over and over again as being very important. And part of freedom is to be freed from the clinging to me, myself, and mine. And, uh, but as far as I know, he doesn't specifically address that in terms of speech. But it's so much in the background foundation of what he teaches that that's where, you know, a big part of where it plays out. Yeah, we're not only protecting, not speaking because protecting other people's, but we're speaking to protect our own mm-hmm. or embellish our own sense of, of self or identity. Yeah, I, I try to, you know, we, we, our time is limited in terms of how many things we can do in these six hours we're together. And uh, if, we had, if we had more time, I wanted to spend some time looking at this uh, use, how we use the words me, myself, uh, me, myself, mine, and I uh, in conversation and what that reflects about us. And uh, So some of you heard the story when I was in Japan, I was speaking, learning Japanese, and when I was in the monastery, there was no one who spoke English, so I was trying as best I could to speak Japanese. And I spoke Japanese kind of like how I speak English, which is with the pronoun I. So I would, st- I would start many sentences like, I think, <laughs> and, um, and in Japanese. But Japanese don't use the pronoun very often. It, they have one, of course, but, uh, but they, they don't use it very often because it's just understood in the context. If, um, if I start walking out the door and say, going, um, you know, it's obvious to everyone I'm the one who's going. It isn't like you guys are sitting still. <laughs> so you don't need to say, I'm going. You just say, going. Uh, so it's kind of like that. And so, but we don't do that in English. We say the pronoun all the time. So I was, I, like I, and to say the pronoun in Japanese, you have to use four syllables. Um, we use just one, right? So it's watashi wa. And it's kind of, meaning, it's kind of like saying, as for me. So, like, imagine every time in English you're going to say sentences, as for me. <laughs> and so, in trying to speak Japanese, I became uh, almost painfully aware how much I, my, my speech was self-referential. It was very valuable to see that. And so, I wanted to do a whole exercise, and I, 
I thought of uh, offering that at lunchtime, that during lunch, why don't you notice how much you often use the word I? And, but I thought I'd spare you, let you, let, <laughs> let you enjoy your lunch. <laughs> so there was one more hand I saw, and then we can stop, yes. Hello. So, um, just basically the joy of speech was kind of the theme of what my partner and I, we thought of so many motivations, including music and other things. Mm. It was a very pleasant mm. experience. Beautiful. So, uh, speech can be joyful and come from joyful places within us. Beautiful. Okay. So, um, so part of mindfulness of speaking is to look at what moves us to speak, what, it, what inspires us to speak, what uh, reasons we speak, the motivations underneath us. And, uh, and those motivations sometimes are multifaceted. Or mo- there's many, sometimes layers of motivations at the same time. If you say, well, the reason I'm saying something is the person really needs that information, that might be true. But there might be other motivations behind, behind that and behind that. So um, one of the things to be mindful of, if you were interested, is to keep looking, look more honestly and deeply. Why am, I, why am I about to say what I'm going to say? Or why did I say what I was going to say? And see what you learn, what you learn about yourself without reflection. Okay. So we'll take a break until 3 o'clock, come back for the last half an hour. There is these two handouts here, uh, a little essay I wrote on right speech, and then um, the second uh, uh, sheet is a series of reflections and practices you can do uh, between now and the next, next time we have a Dharma practice day on January 11th. And uh, every week there's a you know, different aspect of this. Um, so it might be interesting to follow along. And those of you who are going through the mentoring program, this is you know, particularly useful to talk about with your mentors. Those of you who um, are not in the mentoring program, um, you might find a friend to talk to about some of this stuff and say, I'm doing this stuff, show them the sheet and, and have a little discussion and see what comes alive for you in that way. So we'll start again at 3 o'clock. Went to um, visit a few, like a three, group of three monks who were living together, practicing together in the woods someplace. And he asked them, would ask these, these monks, how are you faring? How's it going with you all? How are you getting along and stuff? And they said, we live together like milk and water. And uh, so milk and water, if you mix them, they, they blend together. Whereas if you mix oil and water, they stay separate, right? So we live together like milk and water means we live together harmoniously and we're all together. And so this idea of living together harmoniously, living together unitedly, living together uh, cooperatively is a very important one for certainly Buddhist monastic life, but I think for uh, any kind of life in general. And sometimes I find it useful to reflect in speech does what I'm about to say bring us closer together or make us go further apart? What's the, what's the effect of what I'm about to say? Will I feel closer to this person or will I feel more distant? Will I create more distance between people or will I tr- create more connection and, and, uh, and warmth between people? Um, and um, So just that reflection sometimes, to keep that in mind, uh, then what, 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 would you, what would you say? Does that change? the choices you have of what you say, when that's the concern. And that points to the idea is, is um, what's the importance 
of social connection, what's the importance of social harmony, what's the importance of feeling connected to people. One of the things I think a few people in a day like today experience is that in five, ten minutes of an exercise, you could feel very, very close to someone, like really connected in a very powerful way that you might not feel with people if you spent like casually spent a few hours with someone just chatting about things, but something very powerful and focused very quickly. And it doesn't take long to feel a really good quality connection if you talk about certain things, are present for each other in a certain way. And what's the value of that? How does that support our life? How does it support our lives around us? How does it support our own practice when we feel a deeper connection to the people around us and our, maybe, maybe a sense of our shared humanity? So um, a slanderous speech is speech which divides. And a person who, uh, uh, and, you know, in right speech avoids slander, but rather um, a speech which uh, brings together those who are divided, unites those who are divided, and encourages those who are united already. You know, and people are really connected and united and harmonious to encourage that, support it. And I think the value of that is that it's, uh, harmony and concord can be broken pretty quickly. And so I think to help it out you know, in reasonable ways is a good thing. And um, so that's going to be the topic for this last period of time, is to explore a little bit the topic of, um, of uh, concord or coming together in harmony, uh, being united, being connected. Um, and um, so there's a series of things I would like to ask you to do. And uh, it's all going to lead up to us sitting in one big circle. And uh, so we're here together in a circle. I, I love sitting in circle because it's a feeling that we're all together as a community in a different kind of way than if you know, I'm sitting up here in the focus of attention. <laughs> so, um, so it's a series of things we'll do. And um, so the first thing to do is to pair up with someone. We're going to do like a little thing back and forth, question or discussion. So pair up with someone. Yeah, anything. Yeah, different, whatever you... Yes, it can be. It doesn't matter, whatever you want. No, you can... Sure, it's fine. So this exercise is kind of like a, a, this looping question, ex- except um, you don't have to ask the question. Uh, so uh, you can go back and forth and just share something in responding to this question I'm giving you. And if you need to be reminded, you could ask your partner for what the question is or something. But the idea is just to just you, hopefully both of you know the question and you can just answer it back and forth in an easygoing way without having the question asked. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so the question is, uh, what does it feel like to feel connected to others? What does it feel like to feel connected to other people? Or 
And again, this, you know, there's no right answer, right? There could be many, many things. Um, you can say, you, it might come out of you and say, it feels oppressive. <laughs> because sometimes it probably is. And other times inspiring. And so, you know, what does it feel like to be connected to other people? And just go kind of gently back and forth, each of you answering that question. Um, and if you find it useful to keep saying the question, you may as in your group, but um, there's no need to. You can just kind of offer something. Does that make sense? So we won't do a very long time, probably, probably about five minutes. Can respond What? Yeah, thank you. It's always good. <laughs> so now, so now, if you could stay there. So now, I would like um, uh, the, take your, go with your partner and join up with two other pairs. So we want, we want groups of six people. Now the topic of uh, conversation is to go around the circle. As, uh, just keep, keep going and as, as long as there's time. Uh, each time it comes to your turn to speak, offer something that you do, say something you do or have done um, that uh, supports community, brings people together, helps make people more connected, unites people. Uh, what are some, what, what are, can you just name something that you do? And, um, and uh, you know, it's going to be, could be you know, there's just an infinite number of things that uh, that um, happen. Uh, you know, you could just say, "Well, I agree to do these exercises that guilt has us do." <laughs> I go along. So, um, so just go around and see what comes up. And as people speak, it might prompt some new reflections of your own about what you do. And so, what do you offer to, that brings people together? Helps you feel more connected. So let's uh, now form one big circle, all of us together. So one big circle. <clears throat> so if you need to sit in it, if you want to sit in a chair, you can. Just put them, just make, make make it big enough. You can come here next to me and spread out as much as spread out as much as we need in order to have the full circle. So. It's, uh, I have a very strong 
sense, feeling, belief, understanding that uh, when we practice Buddhism, we practice together. We're all in it together. We're all practitioners together, and um, and we share. And you know, the, the idea of not only sitting in a circle do we come together as a community in a certain kind of way, but also we have this uh, beautiful, clear, open space in the middle that we share. And symbolically, it represents the clear, open quality of the Dharma of freedom that's here for us always. Um, if we just rearrange ourselves a little bit, <laughs> and. Um, and so we, sh- when we share this, we share the openness, the freedom. And uh, when we sit all helter-skelter around, which is nice, um, each person in the, uh, sitting in their own individual preferred place, hiding or not hiding or whatever, <clears throat> it has its value. <clears throat> but, we- <clears throat> but then we don't share this beautiful, open, clear space we have together when we sit in a little bit orderly way in a circle, kind of a circle, enough of a circle to make it work. And, um, and my hope is that uh, each of you feels in some ways supported by other practitioners, by IMC, by a wider community, even if just for today. Um, it's quite unusual to have a day like today where people can come together, some of you are strangers, and to come together and be able to explore these kinds of topics and this kind of way. And, um, you know, you don't go into Starbucks and sit down next to someone there and say, <laughs> what, "What would you just speak?" <laughs> yeah, what would you just speak? <laughs> and then ask them to keep asking you. <laughs> you know, if you keep asking them, they start wondering about you. <laughs> and so it's quite quite special to come here and feel the support and feel the kind of the commonality and the shared kind of commitment and involvement in this. Um, it's quite special, and I, I appreciate that you all have come and shared in this. And um, so thank you all very much for coming today. As you know, there's a custom here at IMC that IMC is cared for by the people who practice here. And, um, and um, so IMC is cared for by the people who practice here, and the people who practice here care for IMC. And... Um, so uh, at the end of these kinds of days, we ask for about seven or eight people to stay behind to do the basic tidying up that should happen. We vacuum this floor, we empty the trash, all the trash cans have to go, and um, any tidying up in the kitchen uh, that needs to happen, and also the bathrooms. And are there seven or eight people who could stay behind and help with that? It takes about 10, 15 minutes. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, great. And, um, and you're helping? To, who's helping? To, oh, you, Gail is. Great. So maybe you should check with Gail and uh, just make sure you know, and I'll clean the same bathroom. <laughs> and, uh, and if you need to know where supplies are. And, and um, so thank you all for that, and thank you for coming. And our next Dharma practice day is January 11th. <laughs>